It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Joe Mott here, and the faith I am defending and commending is the Christian faith. Welcome. The program. In the last episode, we discussed the worldview of secular humanism. I have said that there are two worldviews operating in the Western world right now. You could say a biblical worldview and a non biblical worldview. Narrowed down, it is first Christian theism and second secular humanism. These two worldviews, philosophies of life, frames of reference, roadmaps where we locate ourselves, or lenses through which we identify reality, are so incompatible that to the unredeemed mind, it might seem as if believers really speak a language from another planet. The way believers in Christ understand reality believe, behave, and value life, and the world around us is alien to the thinking that dominates our culture. These worldviews collide and conflict at every point. They are incompatible and hostile to one another. Think of a comparison of these two worldviews in a diagram of two columns with seven attributes for each worldview compared. The attributes are focus. In the biblical worldview, it is God-centered. In the non-biblical worldview, or secular humanism, it is man-centered. The standard is the Bible in the biblical worldview. And in the non-biblical worldview, it is culture and society. The goal is to be holy in the biblical worldview, but in the non-biblical worldview, it is to be happy. The home in the biblical worldview is heaven, but in the non-biblical worldview, it is the world. The problem in the biblical worldview is sin, but in the non-biblical worldview, it is systems. The attitude for the biblical worldview is humility and thankfulness. But in the non-biblical worldview, it is victimhood. How to live in the biblical worldview is by faith. But in the non-biblical worldview, it is by feelings. There are three keys of a biblical worldview. First, truth. God's opinion. God's directives, God's rules, not mine. Second, submission. God's terms, not mine. Third, relationship. Love God, love people, connect to others. 
The Bible teaches God created the world and spoke the various species of living creatures into existence. It explains humanity's fall into sin, the rupture of the divine order, and the resulting curse on creation. It portrays redemption throughout the Bible, and it points to the eventual divine restoration. It defines morality clearly, holding sinners accountable to the law of God. It offers hope for salvation only through Jesus Christ. And it identifies the glory of God as the primary goal in life. None of this is compatible with a secular worldview in which the Big Bang, evolutionary theory, self-esteem, sexual immorality, homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, religious pluralism, personalized truth, hedonism, and self-promotion are all celebrated. Our worldview should deal with what are life's ultimate questions. Vali Bakum says every person who has ever lived or will ever live are dealing with what he narrows down to four questions. One, who am I? That goes to the nature of man and points to our origins. Second, why am I here? Or what is the meaning of life? Third, what is wrong with the world? It is obvious that practically everyone that there is something dramatically wrong with the world. Fourth, how can whatever is wrong be made right? These four questions can be used to evaluate worldviews. First, allow me to apply these four questions to secular humanism. First, who am I? Secular humanism's answer is that you are an accident, the result of random evolutionary processes. There is no rhyme or reason for your existence, no purpose for your existence. You just are. You are who you are and what you are because of what this phase of evolution has produced at this particular time in history. That is secular humanism's answer. And it is the only possible answer that is consistent with secular humanism. If you believe in Darwinian evolution, and in particular, if you believe there is no God, then you must believe that we are the result of random evolutionary processes. But that conclusion is hugely problematical. I find it quite ironic, for example, that in our school system we teach children that they are the result of random evolutionary processes and the consequence of the survival of the fittest. Subsequently, we are told that those that are strong will inevitably dominate the weak. But when the school scolds the strong for dominating the weak and say that such treatment is not right, what is their rationale? Secular humanism offers this answer, because you should treat one another with respect, 
Note, they are applying a moral principle. Well, what is the basis for that rationale? I am an accident. They are an accident. The accident, say, made one stronger than the other. Therefore, the stronger is supposed to dominate the weaker. What is the basis that justifies treating the weaker with respect? The point is that there is no basis for that treatment in secular humanism. It is an idea that is stolen from Christian theism. In fact, when it comes right down to the basic facts, secular humanism advocates getting rid of the weak so that the next phase of evolution can transpire. That is the only way to make sense according to the Darwinian worldview. However, in secular humanism's offering, a rationale for not dominating the weak steals from the Christian worldview. They are operating inconsistently with their own worldview and try to transplant Christian theism's value system into their own worldview. Second, why am I here? Secular humanism's answer is that we are all the result of random evolutionary processes. Therefore, everyone's job is to consume and enjoy, to satisfy one's desires. But don't be surprised if lust and rape enters the picture because secular humanism claims that people are here to satisfy their desires. That is the answer given by secular humanism. Third, what is wrong with the world according to secular humanism? Secular humanists respond that people are either insufficiently governed or insufficiently educated. Just listen to the presidential debates and you see that most political candidates offer these same answers consistent with secular humanism. The candidates say, you don't have the right information or you don't have the right oversight. That is what is wrong with the world. Fourth, according to secular humanism, how can what is wrong be made right? You need more education, or you need more and better government. That's their answer to every problem. If someone has a problem with violence, what do they need is anger management classes right away. So, more education. If a person has an addiction, they need some kind of therapy that will give them coping skills to deal with their problem. They are insufficiently educated, or they need more governing. That's the answer straight across the entire Western world. Everything that we do falls right in line with that kind of erroneous thinking. It doesn't matter how many times this answer is proved wrong. We still continue down that same road to offer these answers given by these four questions. Secular humanists claim we all need more information. Is that really the case? Has more information made us morally better than our ancestors? No, 
it's made us more efficient at killing one another. Think of all the situations where a single person wiped out a bunch of people in a mall, a theater, a restaurant, a cathedral, or a synagogue. Formerly, we had people with drawn swords ready to slash people's throats in hand-to-hand combat. Now we have drones launched from continents away and where we kill by merely pressing a button. It is more sophisticated, but is it better? No, I think not. There must be a better answer, and, in fact, there is. It's Christian theism. Allow me to identify some of its benefits for the believer in Christ. In light of what Christ has done, in light of what he accomplished on the cross in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, the apostle says for believers in Christ to give yourself, life, body, all that you have to God. The Bible indicates that God is love. That is his nature, his essence. We look at the indicative of who God is, what he has done for us, in us, to us, and through us. Then we move to the imperative, which have called us and empowered us to do what we are commanded to do in light of the indicatives. We are to love the Lord God with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. We are warned of an internal conflict with the flesh, an external conflict with the world, and an infernal conflict with the devil. The Bible promises present blessings, justified by faith, peace with God, access by faith into this grace in which we stand, delivered from the law, no condemnation, made near to God, given the status of children, saved by the life of the Son. In episode 131, I gave Christian theism's answer to these four fundamental questions. Let me abbreviate what I said there. First, who am I? Humans are made in the image of God. Believers are God's masterpiece. Second, why am I here? The shorter catechism answers this question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Third, what's wrong with the world? Answer, you, me, all of us. The rupture alienated us from the one who created us. Fourth, how can what is wrong be made right? That question can be answered by the passage in Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. I close this episode with this reminder. Exercise daily. Walk with God.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.